put two on the screen there, and uh, I'm going to read verse one, so you might have to actually use your Bibles tonight. Wow, I'm sorry. Uh, Verse one and two from 1 Samuel chapter number 22, and this is David, by the way. He's on on the run here, and uh, that is uh, our our next uh, section that we've been covering here, Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse number one. The Bible reads... David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave Adullam. And when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. Now verse 2 on the screen there in front of you. And everyone that was in distress, and everyone that was in debt, and everyone that was discontented signed up for Dave Ramsey's course. <laughs> just, just seeing, that's in the original Hebrew, Sorry. Everyone that was discontented gathered themselves unto him, and he became a captain over them, and there were with him about 400 men. That's a whole lot of debt, discontentment, and distress. Um, but uh, that's the group that was running with David, and so with the Lord's help, we're going to cover on that thought tonight, help on the run, David's journey through the Psalms. Lord, bless now and direct in our time together. We ask for your help. We pray that so tonight uh, we want to look at the parallel of the Psalms that were likely written at this time, and we've done this now on several of the stories, David's journey through the Psalms, and uh, uh, so here we are in the cave at Adullam, and the two Psalms that were likely written at this time, uh, there's pretty good agreement about that. There may have been some additional Psalms as well. When you're sitting in a cave with 400 guys, you probably feel like writing a whole bunch. Um, but uh, Psalm 141 and Psalm 142. And so we're going to go to the Lord in prayer, and we will jump right in tonight. Lord, please help, guide, and direct our words <coughs> and our thoughts tonight, and help us, uh, Lord, we ask that your will would be accomplished. And please help us to say what you'd have us to say, and may it, uh, may it be pleasing, Lord, to you. And would you minister to every hearer? We ask that in Jesus' name, amen. So the title is Help on the Run, and last week we mentioned uh, uh, the first thing, uh, and I think we only did two of the 40 that I have. No, I'm kidding, I don't have 40, all right? You guys are really, are you tired? Are you really? Come on now. Uh, The first thought is this, know that others are going through things as well. So he mentions the 400 in the cave, and not a one of them, it's like, man, I'm glad you're here. (laughs) You know, you, you look around and you think, wow, this is perfect. As long as you're here, I'm feeling pretty good. And sometimes we feel that way. And uh, you know the Bible verse, misery loves company? Okay? Right? Did you know that's, that's not necessarily a Bible verse? But the principle is definitely found in this passage. 400 guys in a cave with David. David's running for his life. These are the guys that are hanging out with him. They're in debt. They're in distress. And they're discontented. And they've come to hang out with David. It's almost as if, you know, remember when Job was in such a terrible straits and he had the day that shatters every record in human history. But on that day, at least for a period of seven days, his three friends never said a word to him. They saw his grief and they were overwhelmed by him being overwhelmed. But even when they began to speak, he told them after they spoke, miserable miserable comforters are ye all. And I think one of, the, one of the lessons that we find here is don't ever forget, no matter what you're going through, others are going through things as well. That's not to minimize what's happening in your life. Because whatever is happening in your life is the biggest thing in the world. 
And sometimes we, we lose sight of the fact when we focus only on, on us. And the fact is there's, there's 7 billion people on the planet. And God is, God is mindful of each and every one at each and every moment. He knows the hairs of your head. Think about that. He, he knows when, you know, they, I, was, I, was, uh, I saw a thing on the news, and they were talking about the terrible wildfires down in Australia. And they were estimating that 500 million animals have lost their lives. 500 million. That's pretty staggering. I mean, just wiping out just thousands and thousands of acres, hundreds of thousands of acres of, of habitat for koala bears and you, you name it, just all kinds of things. But, you, you know, but God knows every single one of those. None of that catches God by surprise and off, off guard. And every single day in this life, there's tragedy, there's heartache, there's disappointment, there's suffering. There's injury, there's wounds, there's setback, there's adversity, always is. So, so the first thing that David learns is he gets this cave and he thinks, man, I'm going to have all these guys pulling for me, they're going to be cheering for me, they're going to be rooting me on, come on, Dave, we got your back, man, we're with you, you can do this, you can do this. And he's looking around and you're broke, <laughs> you ain't got nothing. <laughs> and he looks over on this side and he says, and you're always depressed. And he looks over here and these guys are never satisfied. And I'm not picking, you know, sections out. Don't, don't misunderstand my, my point here. But he says, there's 400 of you guys. Could I not have one that says, man, I'm on top of the world? Looking down on... Okay, anyway, sorry. Just, nobody's with me today with my, my little flashbacks and going... You know, so I'll just keep... Anybody get that? Two of you? One, two, three. Three of you? That's it? Man, okay, over here. Hallelujah. And so here's David and he's thinking, man... Somebody has got to be on my side and go through what I'm going through. Yeah, appreciate what I'm going through. But he got no response because they were in as big a mess as he was. And in their mind, by the way, their mess was bigger than his. And so we, we have to understand things to remember when on the run. Number one, know that others are going through things as well. Then, still in that same verse, that everyone that was in distress... And everyone that was in debt and everyone that was discontented gathered themselves unto him, and he became a captain over them, and there were with him about 400 men. Don't you like to be a leader of losers? No, I'm t- sorry, David. I know I'm going to see him one day, and I, you know, I know what he did to Goliath, so peace. Uh, but, but so here he is, man. This is my team, and, and 400 of us. But not only do we understand that no matter what we're facing, everybody's going through something, and, and, and things are... That's the natural, natural course of life. It doesn't make it any easier. And it, I don't mean to smooth it over or gloss it over in any way, but David knew that others were going through things as well. But the second thing is, know that God does want to use human instruments to aid and comfort during struggles. That's a whole lot of words for a single slide there. But it really means we ought to be a comfort and a strength and a help and a support to everybody who's going through anything. And it's, it's tougher to do that when you show up at the cave and you're wanting somebody to help you, are you with me? Because you're thinking, I walked into this cave, and I'm not calling church a cave, don't misunderstand me, but I, I'm talking about here they are, and man, I came hoping, you know, Dave, man, God, I don't know if they called him Dave or Super Dave or whatever, I mean, he did kill a lion and a bear and Goliath, now, that, that's pretty good stuff right there, 
And I came because I figured if David is here, everything's going to be okay. Do you realize that for every person that's ever drawn a breath, you might be, or someone is definitely that person they're coming to. They want to be around because they think, maybe you don't have the answer for everything, but I know I'm not going to be more distressed, more discontented, and more in debt by your presence. Because you have a gift of encouragement. You have a gift that is, that is willing to, uh, the Bible said, in fact, the biblical word is exhort one another while it is today. And that means I really want to try to help one another. And so God does want to use human instruments to aid and comfort during our struggles. I think about it all the time, and I've said it numerous times over the years, but can you imagine what it'd be like to go through adversity and trouble as David was going through, but not have the people of God around you? Man, I, to, to, you know, life is tough. I mean, we, we quote the verses often, but, but can you imagine going through that without the aid and assistance, of, first of all, of God, and then secondly, without the aid and assistance of God's people? Uh, it's one of the, you, you know, I know church was God's idea. There's no question about it. Uh, the Bible says, forsake not the assembly of yourselves together as the manner of some is, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. That was God's idea. But one of the greatest things about church is that knowing that no matter what is happening in this life, we've got somebody to help us. We've got God's people to rally around God's people. So um, know that others are going through things as well. Know that God does want to use human instruments to aid and comfort during our struggles. Then may I say this further in uh, uh, Psalm 141, verse 1 and 2. Lord, I cry unto thee, make haste unto me, give ear unto my voice when I cry unto thee. Let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense, that means it would be constantly ascending, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. The next psalm, Psalm 142, verse 1, I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and with my voice of the Lord did I make my supplication. And the third thought is this, know this, keep crying out to the Lord. You know one of the, I, I got to be honest with you. There are times when over the years and you've prayed and you've asked and you've asked and you've asked and you've wondered, what's the point? What's the use? Do I keep praying? Do I keep crying out? Do I keep asking? Do I, and the Bible does tell us, ask, and that's progressive tense. Ask and it shall be given unto you. It doesn't mean, well, I asked once. That's like telling your wife well, I, that you love her. and Well, I told her once. If I change my mind, I'll let her know. By the way, it's not a good way to practice. But, but the fact is, is that a personal testimony back there? Um, but here we are, and we wonder sometimes, man, do I, do I want to continue to ask and ask and ask? Yeah. You don't ever want to stop going to God. You know, David would come later and he would say, I, I poured out my complaint unto the Lord. We typically will complain to others first and then to the Lord. But let's get it the right way around, and that is David said, look, and maybe it was because he was looking at the, 300, the 400 guys there. You know, debt, distress, discontentment. And so maybe this is not the crowd I want to ask for help. And so you can't help me, you can't help me, you can't help me. So I'm going to cry out to the Lord. But don't ever stop, no matter what's happening in your life, no matter what the situation is, hey, know this, you could always go to God. Now, by the way, there are times when you go to God and you wonder this. First of all, you wonder, is he listening? By the way, God's always listening. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. The Bible says that all things are open and naked with whom we have to, him with whom we have to do. 
nothing that ever happens in your life that escapes God. It's not like it caught or catches Him by surprise. And so one of the great reminders to us is don't ever stop continuing to cry out to the Lord. What we do, however, is we get very discouraged. We have a fast food mentality when it comes to prayer. You know, you know what I mean? I, I, if I, I, I hate drive-thrus. By the way, I was in the drive-thru yesterday, and uh, I was picking up a Diet Coke for somebody. And uh, I don't want to say who it is because I don't want to incriminate them. But, uh, but I was, I, so I was in the drive-thru. And I, my wife and girls always tell me, Dad, you always, you always fuss about the drive-thru. Drive-thru's faster. Sometimes it's not. Can I get a witness? So I'm in the drive-thru, and the car in front of me puts his car in reverse. Okay, we're in the two lanes at McDonald's. And he puts it in reverse, and I'm thinking, dude, if you're running out of money, I'll buy it. Just stay in line. Don't make me do this. And, it, and he keeps coming, and he's looking at me out the window, you know, you know? and, uh, you know, he's waving. And so I look out, and I back out of the lane. You know, we've already started snaking around there, so it's some strategic driving, I, I assure you. So I, so I got out, but here I am going through the drive through and, and I did get my Diet Coke. I have to tell you, though, it's a shame that I have to ask for a straw. Do you want a straw? No, I'll just suck it through that little square hole that you've made in there. I, I'll be good. Are you, do you want a straw? Where do we live, folks? Come on, somebody say amen to that. And how many of you have been to the store this week and forgot your bags? <laughs> it was January 1st. I was with Rebecca, and we ran up to Fred Meyer, and I saw this lady walking out. You know, I really, it did, it did not even hit me. I saw this lady, and I'm saying, well, that was bizarre. She's got, she's got a jug of milk. She's got some laundry detergent. She's got chips, and she's got all this stuff, and her son's care. And I'm thinking, what, what are they doing? They're going to get stopped. They're shoplifting. I mean, all these things are go, going through my mind, and they don't want to pay a nickel. You know? And, and, I, and I feel the same way. I think it's, it, it's crazy. But do you want a straw? Really? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I'm good. And, and I just, anyway, so forgive me, I, I digress there just a little bit. But uh, you say, what are you doing? I keep crying out to the Lord for straws and, and bags. That's what I keep doing. But uh, know this, even when you get so discouraged, I have no idea where I was going with that illustration. What? Yeah, but I, I still don't know. <laughs> Usually... Yes, thank you. So our, our, thank you. I knew there was something spiritual in there somewhere. And so we, we get so used to fast, and that's how we expect God to work. We expect to uh, go up in there, and man, we just, we just want it this quick, and we want it right away. But then we find out in the Christian life, it doesn't always work that way. So sometimes we pray, and well, I didn't get an answer, so I'm done. Really? Yeah, I, I asked him one time, and I didn't, I didn't hear back, and so I'm done. You continue to ask and ask and ask, and yes, I want a straw when I go through the drive-thru. But uh, anyhow, so know to keep crying out to the Lord. Let's move on here. Psalm 142, the second verse, David said, I poured out my, claim, my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble Verse number four, same, same chapter, Psalm 142, verse four. I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Boy, this is such a powerful verse. You could preach from it. But there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me, 
no man cared for my soul. Now, typically that's, that's preached as, as nobody else, uh, use our vernacular, nobody else gave a rip about my life. But that's not necessarily what David is saying here because he's in the company of 400 men. But he realized this, they don't have what I need. They can't answer my problem. It's not that they don't want to. And it's not that their heart's not in the right place. But, it, it, you know, I think it's when, when Job realized that these are the three best friends I got. And they have sat here in stunned silence for seven days. Never said a thing. And he realized, you don't have what I need. You're good men. You're the best friends I have. And there's no question Job would have had a, a motley crowd of friends. They would have been good guys. No question about it at all. But he said, you don't have what I need. And so I think one of the great lessons from Help on the Run is the forethought, and that is this, know that God is your help. Know that God alone is your help. As much as we try and as deep down as we'll reach, the fact is, God, we said it this morning in the message this morning about God being our deliverer and God wanting to direct and then God wanting to display. But the fact is, God wants you to know in your life, I'm here. And I, I realize you may want to turn and you may want to trust something else, but God says, it's me. It's me that you need to turn to. It's me that you need to call upon. And uh, that's a lesson for, for each and every one of us, no matter where we're at in the spectrum of life, whether you're a child in school, whether you're in college, whether you're uh, young married or whether you're uh, later in life or whether you're working a job or whatever. Know that God is your help. You don't ever forget that. So David looks around, 400 guys. He sees distress. He sees discontentment. He sees debt. And he says, I'll tell you what. He said, I'm glad you guys are here, but God is my help. And I appreciate the support. I appreciate the encouragement, but I know that I must learn to depend upon, upon him. Then, Secondly, Psalm 141, or, or fourthly rather, Psalm 141 in verse number three, set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth, keep the door of my lips. He's in a company of 400 other men. And so he says, God, help me to guard my speech. Why is that? Because I think one of the natural tendencies of us, even as God's people who have been delivered and been directed and seen God's display our number one response when things don't go our way is to complain. David asked the Lord, he said, could you cover this? Because I know what, if I say what I want to say, I don't want to poor mouth God. Do you realize that God is very good? The Bible says it is the, the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions, they fail not. The Bible says his mercies are new every morning. That means whatever we got today was brand new. It wasn't like he dusted it off the shelf. It was fresh. You got it straight from God today. And I'll have more tomorrow. It's a wonderful thing about God. But God says through David here, while he's in the cave, while he's running from, his, for, for, from trouble, he realizes this, God put a hedge about my mouth. Guard my speech, number one, because I'm tempted to complain. Secondly, I'm tempted to be critical. 
When things don't go our way, not only do we complain, but we start to be critical. It's one of the easiest traps to fall in if you feel like you've been wronged or why did this happen? This shouldn't have happened. Uh, this, uh, I deserve that raise or I deserve this. And so not only do we start to complain about God, uh, God could have intervened, God could have stopped this, God could have done this, or God could have uh, you know, arranged this a different way. And then the second thing is we, we start, start getting critical. So David says, God, would you please put a hedge about my speech? Um, so avoid complaint, avoid criticism. And then the third thing under that is avoid ca- casting God in a bad light. You know, for instance, one thing as a being in ministry, and God has always been very good to my wife and me, but there have been times in ministry where we really did not know where the next meal was coming from. There literally were times when we had food show up on our porch. We've lived that way before. Now, don't misunderstand me. You all are very good to us, and I'm very grateful, but we have been there. But even when we were there, I never let my kids know how poor we were having it. And I'll tell you the biggest reason. I never wanted to trash God in the hearts and minds of those who were looking up to us. I never wanted, I never wanted my, to tell my children, boy, the ministry's tough. Oh, it's just awful serving God. You, you know, you just, you just never know if you can depend on Him. I remember when I told my dad what I was going to do, and of course, you know, the, you know my testimony. My, I, my dad wanted me to go to law school. I was already enrolled at UK, yada, yada, all that. I'm not going to repeat it. But I know this. When I told my dad I was going to go into ministry, my dad said, you'll starve. And he said, I've been in church all my life. He said, people trash preachers. They don't take care of them. And he said, you'll be the same way. That's what my dad said. Now, my dad was always very good to preachers, always. He, he had a heart. Missionaries came to, to town. My dad, I, I remember many times my dad would take money and give it to me or one of my brothers um, to, to give to a preacher. He'd say, go, go give that preacher this $50 bill or whatever. I remember that many times growing up. But my dad's fear was that we wouldn't be cared for. But I never wanted to tell my children, hey, don't even think about ministry. Oh, you're on your own. It's terrible. Now you say, well, I'm not in full-time ministry. I understand that. But don't ever get to the place in, in your life where you discourage those who follow you, those who run with you by casting God in a negative light because something didn't go as you thought it should or as you wanted it to. Classic example, Job. What does his wife say? By the way, I'm not criticizing Mrs. Job. I'm not criticizing her at all. You know, she lost everything he lost. You know, we talk about Job. But she lost 10 kids. Hello. So I'm not picking on her. Don't, don't if you think, I'm not picking on her at all. She's way up here. But he said, thou speakest as a foolish woman. She said, curse God and die. He said to her, he said, do we receive good at the hand of God and not evil? And he said, thou, you're speaking like a foolish. The foolish has said in his heart, there is no God. Someone who's totally distant and void from God. And so he rebukes her so sternly by saying, we don't talk about God that way here. 
He just lost 10 kids, every possession he owned, all of his wealth, and he was covered with the most unbelievable, excruciatingly painful sores from the crown of his brow to the sole of his feet. And perhaps she said it out of empathy for him. Just go ahead and be done with it. I, I don't want to see you suffer like this. And maybe that was a reason. I don't know. But I know even in the midst of the agony that he was feeling physically, emotionally, the hurt that was so deep you can't even imagine. And he said, no, 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 no. We don't do that about God. We don't talk like that about God. I'm going to tell you this. One thing that every person ought to learn from David's life here. He's in the cave. He's mourning out his complaint to God, but he asks God, guard my speech. Why? I feel like saying something. He knew it. David knew he wanted to say something he shouldn't say. There's no reason why he would have said, guard my speech. There's no, guard my speech, because I'm thinking... And I don't want to say it. I got 400 guys watching me, and I don't want to say it. But I tell you what I'm thinking. And he said, so God, would you protect them from me saying what I feel like saying at this moment? That's great encouragement to me, because there have been times when I probably did not say, put a watch about my speech, and I went ahead and said it. Maybe I'm alone in that. Probably not, but it's a great lesson to all of us when God said to, or David, David makes the prayer, the petition to God, guard my speech. Avoid complaint, avoid criticism, and then avoid casting God in a bad light. And uh, I don't ever want to poor mouth God. I don't, want, I don't want my children, my grandchildren to ever think, boy, it was tough in ministry. I don't want them to ever think that God didn't take care of me. God has been so good to me. If God never gave me another thing the rest of my life, he's been better to me than I deserve. I mean, if you, listen, if tonight every single person in here from the pulpit to the last chair never got another prayer answered the rest of your days, you still had it better than you should have. You say, how do you know that? Because I know what I deserve. I don't deserve mercy. I deserve justice. I don't want justice. I want mercy. And God, in His mercy and in His long-suffering, gave us the opportunity of salvation. Well, we deserve hell. So if I never get another prayer answered the rest of my days, God's been better to me than I ever deserved. And so I want to backpedal when it comes to casting God in a bad light. So David says, guard my speech. Then the second thing, when my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path. Now, he's already told us. He said, God, put a watch, keep the door of my lips, set a watch, O Lord, upon my mouth. And so now he tells us in the next chapter, when my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path. In the way wherein I have walked, have they privily laid a snare for me. But I think one of the things he said, he said, guard my speech. But secondly, guard my spirit. Why? Because there are times in the life of every believer when you spiritually, physically, emotionally, are swamped. You're spent. You're shot. David said overwhelmed. And by the way, he did not use that term often. And remember, David was a guy, killed a lion, killed a bear, 
kill Goliath. He's in a cave with 400 guys, and he ought to think, man, we're ready to go to war. But he said, I'll be honest with you, God. I've met my match. My spirit is overwhelmed. And so he's telling the Lord, there's a couple things I need to do. One, I need to guard my speech. Two, I need to guard my spirit. There, there will be times in your life where you don't feel very much like a Christian. Come on, don't leave me hanging there. Don't act like I'm the only one. Okay, I'll say this. There are times in my life where I just don't feel very much like a Christian. I'm, I'm not talking about doubting my salvation. I just don't, I'm overwhelmed. And when you get there, you need to respond as David did. Remember God would say about David, he was a man after his own heart. He's running for his life. He does think he's going to die because he does say, I shall now one day perish at the hand of Saul. He thinks this is it. He thinks he's going to get me. He said, I look at, I'm the leader of losers, 400 in this club, and they're all bad. They've got nothing. Pardon the grammar. But this is a bad spot. But he says, I've got to guard my speech, and I've got to guard my spirit. Then the next thing, <coughs> guard your step. What do you do? You guard your speech, you guard your spirit, and you guard your step. Your next step when you feel like you're at rock bottom is so important. And David would say, and I don't, I don't have the verse up here either, but David would say, set a watch, but then also direct my steps. Because you know what it is? It's like you don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. I'm on the run. I'm dismayed. I'm distressed. And I'm running with a crowd that's in debt. And they don't have any answers for me either. So I'm asking you, God, guard my speech, guard my spirit, but then also guard my step. Make sure that I'm making the right steps, the steps that are pleasing and honoring to you. And then uh, let me say this. And I'll be done here in just a few moments. Psalm 142, verse 4. I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. And then also, 141, verse number 8, But mine eyes are unto thee, O God the Lord, and thee is my trust. Leave not my soul destitute. The, the fifth thought then is, guard your sight. Why? Because David made a great mistake that we all do, and that is he used his physical eyes rather than his spiritual ones. He said, I looked here and I didn't see anybody who could help me. I looked there and I didn't see anybody who could help me. And then finally, the next chapter, he says, you know what? He said, God, you've got my eyes. I realize that I'm looking in the wrong place, and vain is the help of men. I realize they don't have every answer for me, and I realize that when I'm at rock bottom and I'm overwhelmed, and God, I'm asking you to guard my speech, I'm asking you to guard my spirit, I'm asking you to guard um, my steps, but I also have to ask you to guard my sight. Because what we do is typically we have, an, we have a, a way of looking down and we see every problem, we see every trouble. We look down the road at things that often never materialize. In fact, I've said it before, most of your greatest fears never come to pass. David, again, classic point, I shall now one day perish at the hand of Saul. No, I don't think so. That's not what happened. But David, through his eyes, said, that's what's coming down the road. And God said, Because that same passage we use this morning, Jeremiah, I think it's 29, 11, God said, I, I've got a plan for you. I, I know my thoughts. I know my plan. These are thoughts of peace. 
and a good end. But right now, it doesn't look so good. Right now, you're in a cave with 400 guys. Nobody's got the answer. They're all in as bad a shape as you are. So what do you do? You guard your spirit. You guard your steps. You guard your sight. And then finally, the last thought is this. Psalm 142, verse 7 of these two psalms, Psalm 141, Psalm 142, we find verse number 7. Bring my soul out of prison. He wasn't literally in jail, but he felt like it. He was in a cave with 400 guys. He's saying, God, get me out of this place. But notice this, so that I may praise thy name. The righteous shall compass me about, for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. In other words, God, I don't know when, I don't know how, but you're getting me out of this place. And I'm not going to stay here forever. And I don't know how it's all going to turn out, but I promise you this. You get me out of here. And the last lesson from Help on the Run is give God praise. You know, I, I, reference, I reference Rebecca's cancer a lot. And I'll tell you one of the reasons. I made a promise to the Lord. I remember it like it was yesterday. I told the Lord, I said, if you heal her, I'll never stop telling people what you did. I, I remember praying that. And so... A lot of times, if I'm preaching at a place for the very first time, I'm preaching in uh, Northern California this Friday night at a youth rally, just flying in Friday, flying back Saturday. I've never preached there before. I would imagine that at some point, I'll probably squeeze an illustration about Rebecca. You know why? It's not because I made a deal with God, it's because I don't ever want to stop praising Him, because I don't ever want to forget what He has already done for me. Do I want him to keep doing exceeding marvelous and wonderful things? Yeah. But also, don't want to forget to praise him for what he's already done. God's worthy of praise. No matter what happens, no matter how it happens, no matter when it happens. David said, God, get me out of this prison so that... I can tell everybody what you did for me. And that is one of the greatest lessons of getting help on the run. No matter where you're at, God wants to help you. And he wants you to continue to come to him. He wants you to continue to ask. 